0: Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In this message, Pastor Andy explains what God has to say about biblical manhood and womanhood. This message also features an appearance from Pastor Andy's wife, Allison, who will be answering a few questions from a woman's biblical perspective. Enjoy the message.
1: You know what's a lot of fun for some people, but I'm just, I'm dreading this. It's the birds and the bees talk, all right? Uh, apparently, I have been tasked with this for, with our boys, the birds and And the bees. Now, when is the proper time to have this talk? Uh, You can let me know in the lobby, but apparently I'm prepping this. Um, And so we homeschool, and so I'm now the teacher of this class. Thank you. (laughs) But but it's important because uh, if your kids don't learn about the birds and the bees from you, they're gonna learn about the birds and the bees from somebody else. And I, mom and dad, I'm sorry, I have to admit something here, uh, but I didn't learn about the birds and the bees at first from my parents because they were too late. You see, on the way home, walk home from school back in the 1980s, we were free range children. We walked home without anybody walking us or driving us. Um, One of my friends in first grade on the way home told me the bootleg version of the birds and the bees. Now, it was bootleg because it wasn't correct. It wasn't completely right. I came home and I said, Mom, Dad, I didn't realize that the baby, when it was developing, half of it was in the man and half of it was in the woman. And I was like picturing this head in the man and then, and then like maybe the torso in the woman. I was completely freaked out thinking it was like a horror movie. And my parents were horrified. Their eyes got big and they got big because they realized, yes, today was the day they were going to talk about the birds and the bees, all right? And so what does my dad do? Eventually, I mean, he knew he was immediately tasked to talk about it. So he goes into the living room. He takes a lamp. He holds up the cord. He looks at the outlet in the the wall, and I'm just going to leave it right there, all right? That was the moment that was ingrained in my mind, and I realized, guess what? There really is a difference between men and women, all right? Now, That seems like just elementary, because I was in first grade, it was elementary. That seems like it was elementary in the 1980s, but it's controversial today, isn't it? It's very controversial. It's under attack today, all with the idea that we want to be ourselves. And when we say we want to be ourselves, it's finding ourselves and looking into ourselves to express our true self as if we're our own God. And I would say today, people are acting as if they're their own God. And Christians, if you're a follower of Christ here today, I want you to know that you cannot be immune to this. You can fall into the concept that you think that you're your own small g God. Uh, Recently, I read a post from someone that was previously in ministry. I I was never in ministry with them. I I knew them from afar at school, but enough to where we became Facebook friends. It doesn't take much to be Facebook friends, right? But uh, I saw a post that absolutely confused me uh, in this last year. His post was a life update, and he was sharing his wife's update, and his Headline was, my wife has found her true self. I'm going to celebrate you. And the wife's post was this. As you may have heard, I have found my true self. My husband and I are getting a divorce. Our kids know. And I'm now seeing someone. And now of course, as you can imagine, all the comments on Facebook of celebration. And I just can't help but help, my heart breaking. How did we get to a place where the husband is celebrating his soon to be ex wife because they found themselves and they're expressing themselves however they want sexually. How did we get here? It's all in the idea that we have the answer to our own happiness. It's all in the idea that we get to express and make our lives however we want to make them. And of course, you can live that way. Of course, you can think that way. But let's just pause here for a moment. Are you God? No, we're not, right? Does that mean that we know everything? No, it doesn't. Does it mean that we made ourselves? No, it doesn't. But we live as if we do when we say there is no God or I'm not gonna live uh, in the way that he wants us to live. It's not about finding yourself, but it's acknowledging yourself that's in need of Jesus, his truth, and his Holy Spirit. So here's our main idea today. Our main idea is this, your true self is not found in yourself, but Christ. If you want to be yourself, ironically, it's not about finding yourself, but it's finding yourself in Christ. And so, all this conversation on gender identity, dating, marriage, and even how you raise your kids—you want to know this? Where, where this was answered? It wasn't answered in an op-ed in the New York Times. It wasn't answered on on Reddit or on TikTok, or groupthink. It is answered and was answered in the garden. In the garden, in the beginning, in God's original creative design. Your true self is not found in yourself, but in Christ. And number one, your main point is this, very elementary, is this, you were made by God. You were made by God. The first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, It is a book of beginnings. Uh, We see God speak creation with his very word. Genesis is foundational in how we understand God, how we understand being in right relationship with God, and understanding the intrinsic value of humanity with God. It's important in understanding how we worship God alone as he is the one true God. God. And therefore, we see in Genesis in totality, we see God opposing uh, the view of that there are many gods, which is polytheism. Oh, we see the opposition of, of people that say there is no God, which is atheism. And we also see the opposition of the idea of the New Age idea that everything is spiritual and divine. That's pantheism. We see in the book of Genesis we have a monotheistic God. That is one God. We worship the one true God, the creator God, who spoke creation, who knew you before creation, and has a plan for you. So Genesis must be seen as a literal book. It must be. I know today people, and even Christians, are saying, oh, it was allegory, or is mythology. But Genesis The Bible through and through has a literal meaning and it is literal. When we look at the book of Genesis, it's literal. Why? Well, we see the genealogy in 1 Chronicles 1 chapters 1 through 8. It goes all the way back to the first human beings. The Old Testament writers saw Adam and Eve in the creation, the account as literal. We also see the New Testament treating it the same way. The Gospel of Matthew begins Jesus' genealogy with Abraham, which is in Genesis, but the genealogy of Luke takes Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam. And Jesus, when talking about marriage, affirms their creation account. He affirms Adam and Eve as being literal. And in fact, in the New Testament, the New Testament writers do the same thing. In fact, the very idea of marriage is tied in to the account of creation. So if you have a problem with two human beings be being made out of dust by the word of God? If you have a problem with uh, Satan uh, possessing a snake, demon possession of a snake, if you have a problem with the tree and an apple, if you have a problem with sin ruining everything in the world, I just have to ask you this question. How big is your God? Genesis will be as real to you as if how big God is. Uh, we believe that God is so huge we can't even put words to it. We believe that God is so powerful. He, he is so knowing But yet when we want to shrink God down to size, to where we can understand everything about him, when we want to shrink God down to our own size, to where maybe even we become more of a God than him, then yes, Genesis seems absurd. But I'll tell you what else is absurd. Just creation just booming and happening, right? But that's what the world looks at. You'll either look at an almighty God who spoke creation into being, and this is so important, how you view uh, man, men and women, sexuality, marriage, God, everything. But we've been told without uh, challenge uh, that we are a product of evolutionary processes. Believing that humanity is nothing more than us just being a little bit more of a vance an animal. We are... Think higher and more supreme than a sponge, right? And what we see here is that because we're just another animal, we get to fulfill our primal urges. Uh, we, we, we realize that we have come from slime, and somehow a turn, that slime came from a big bang. This evolutionary theory, it's just that, it's a theory. Even though schools treat it as fact. But it has major, major problems. I've mentioned this before, but I have to mention it again. Charles Darwin, whose credit is the father of evolutionary theory, wrote his manifesto, originally published in uh, 1859, as the origin of the species. Let me give you the full uh, title of the book because people conveniently stop it right there. It is the origins of the species by the means of natural selection of the preservation of the favored races and the struggle of life. That's not a very uh, advantageous title today, is it? The problem is, through the theory of evolution, the idea of survival of the fittest makes humans a a meaningless animal that survives through the fulfillment of self-centered urges and introduces in that, ironically, the idea of racism. And they must be rejected, right? We are not an animal, that must be rejected. We, uh, We must reject racism. But the idea of evolution has been unchecked and has been the driving force in the secularization of the sciences. And in the 1930s, it was made even more popular by the eugenicist Julian Huxley. Eugenics is the debunked and false idea that one could improve the race through planned breeding, thus eliminating so-called ills through genetics. It's the idea of making the perfect child. Uh, It's what Nazi Germany was studying. And ironically, the whole Western world was until World War II was complete out of that movement was born uh, was born a person uh, Margaret Sanger who founded planned parenthood who said this the gradual suppression the elimination and the eventual extinction of defective stocks we could see that the eugenics movement indeed should have been rejected and has been rejected at least in uh, principle although i think uh, people hold on to those ideas today through evolution A creation without purpose leaves us eternally hopeless, and by default, we will become our small g God to ourselves when we think that this life is meaningless and we get to do whatever we want to do to make us happy while we wait to die. Church, I just want to ask you something. Do you want more of a meaning of life than just waiting to die? Do you want to know that your life has purpose and meaning? Do you want to know that you are more than the sum totals of the struggles and joys of, of all of your days? Because if we're lucky, we get 80. If we're real lucky, we get 90. And some people debate, but if we're lucky, we get 100, right? 110. But eventually, you can live forever. If you live forever, 100, 110, right? And you can feel a little bit sick, Right? And you got to think to yourself, is this all what I got? It's the reason why Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, he said he had everything and yet he said, it's all meaningless. This life must be something bigger than the sum total of our experiences or our happiness. And I can tell you, the book of Genesis proves to us, oh, there is. It's called eternity and fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. And he has made the expression of his creation through men and women his humanity. Science and God should not be opposed to each other. If God is real, and I'm here to say today's pastor he is, the creation account is real. And if the creation account is real, we ought to see evidences in science. Again, science and Christianity shouldn't be opposed to each other. It wasn't until recently that people began to oppose them with each other. Science was an inconvenient truth, and so they had to move science away from it. One of the coolest finds recently was the Webb Telescope. Anybody been following that? It is such a high power telescope that has recently gone online, and they one of the biggest things they were hoping with this new telescope was we're going to be able to look back so far that we're going to get within like 50 million to 100 million years from the Big Bang, and we're going to be able to see all these galaxies creating the way that they should through evolutionary process, and when they beamed up the Webb telescope, they got into about 100 years of what they thought would be the Big Bang, they were absolutely shocked because what they saw, yes, indeed, were galaxies, but what they were thinking they were gonna see is this galaxy in process of being made from this bang, but instead they were fully formed galaxies. Boom, and they were created, and they're like, wow, we gotta challenge our whole cosmic idea of how space and the universe came to being. How did this happen? And I'll tell you, it's in the book of Genesis. We see it, God spoke, and boom, it happened, right? He spoke creation, let there be light, boom. Let there be the heavens and the earth, boom. Let there be water, boom. Let there be vegetation, boom. Let there be animals, boom. And let there be men and women, and boom, here we are, right? You were made by God. And that gives you purpose beyond whatever you're facing right now. It's the reason why you can be in the dumps. It's the reason why you could have been facing depression your whole life. It's the whole reason you can face whatever you're facing and it's going to crush you. But you're not crushed or defeated when you know who made you. Men and women, you were made by God. What we see from that, from the Genesis account, is you were created in God's image you just weren't made by God to be men and women you were created something special you were created to reflect God's goodness Genesis 1 26. then God said let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so that they rule over fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground now notice this The triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three, yet one blows our mind because he's such a big God. He said, let us make human beings in our image, which means you're not another animal, which means you aren't to reflect your true self. No, rather, you are to be a reflection of the goodness of God and his truth. God did not create you to create an image for yourself. He did not create you to, to turn you loose and say, express yourself however you've been made. He said, no, look, at you have been made to reflect the goodness of God. You've been made to reflect the power of God. You've been made so that when people see you, they can easily say, yes, God exists. We are his image bearer. and We point towards our creator, the Lord God Almighty. And as a result of being created by God to reflect his goodness, each life That is created at conception has unbelievable worth. We often try to put value on life by what a person can do, how talented they are, or what quality of life they have. In fact, we, we see this a lot, especially in some of our coastal states they are debating euthanasia. You know, if someone's not feeling good or if they're depressed or this or that, give them the right to die. But what we don't understand this is that our days are not our own. Life is a gift. And life has, you can't even put a dollar figure to life. Why? Because God spoke it, he made it, and he'll call it home when he wants. ready to call it home. And yet, we often put a value on life by some kind of value that we made up on the earthly standard, but God has a different value system. If you're alive, if your life, no matter the struggle, a relational status, pain, prosperity, or poverty, I want you to know you have value. You're incredibly valued by our almighty God. You're valued, Amen? Right now, my mom can't see very well. Can't walk at the moment and she's in a lot of pain but when you ask her do you want to fight what's god say until he calls me home i'm gonna live i'm gonna be telling you this right now when that's personal it also reminds me of how we're to play it out in our life is that your life my life all of our lives as long as we have air in our lungs and our heart is beating I want you to know that God has a plan for you to, to reflect his goodness as image bearers your life has had value since the day of your conception until your very last breath you were fearfully and wonderfully made woven together in your mother's womb that's why I love about mother's day we were all born right and so we have someone to thank You're created in the image of God, reflect God's goodness. So let's make every moment for God. Let's make every moment as the body of Christ, his church. You are made by God, you are created in God's image. Secondly, men and women therefore are created equal. They're created equal. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and, sub- and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God created that the chief part of his creation uh, was, was, was you, it was humanity, God created two distinct yet equal human beings, that is men and women. Both men and women equally reflect the image of God. God created Adam from the earth and then God created females from the rib of the male. Now I know that sounds odd, uh, but what, again, but when you just look at creation, when you look at the we're just on, living on this small rock in all the universe, that's odd. We're just familiar with it. That's why it's not odd to us anymore. Now, I'm gonna say something that will probably get me in trouble online, maybe even canceled, maybe even banned. The Bible says there are only two sexes, male and female. Now, just five years ago, if you would have said this is a controversial statement, you would say, what happened to you? Like, what are you talking about, right? Well, we learned this Early on, this is Nick Jr. What are you you talking about, right? But we're not living in normal times. I don't think I have to say that for you to agree with that. We're not living in normal times. Uh, And and I'm not saying this for us to like puff up our chest like, yep, you're right. No, I'm just saying we need to be constantly aware of that. It's affected our society. It's even affected the way that Christians treat each other. It's affected what churches that say they're all about. It's the reason why churches are oftentimes churches in name only now. It, is, it, it I, I can, I've spoken with pastors all across this country and people have gone absolutely bonkers, all right? And so we have to put our minds with Christ right now because society isn't gonna help us. It may even be that you, people that you've walked with for years, they're not gonna help you, all right? The Lord God Almighty must be your Lord right now. Do not go. We, we, the, the awesome thing about being a Bible-believing church is this. You don't need a priest to get to God, all right? You get direct access to God. And what we do is we go through vicariously, through personalities or books or authors or these different things. And, and then they, these people disappoint us or they do whatever. And we're like, what about God? God's always been there and always been faithful. And we need to be faithful. And as Kenosha City Church, it is our desire to be faithful to the word of God, period, no matter the cost. God is not the creator, then we will create something else. In turn, we will become our own gods, and that's exactly what's happening. Romans 125 warns us. Paul wrote, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. God created two equal sexes that are equally important and valuable as both are created in the image of God. Let's just get a little scientific here again, all right? Uh, while men and women are similar in many ways and we're created equal, we are very much different as well. There are 37.2 trillion cells in the body. And all these cells, except for the red blood cells, are different in men and women because men have XY chromosomes uh, and uh, women have XX chromosomes in each cell. So we could dress it up. We could call it different things. We can, have, we can make up different pronouns, but I want you to know uh, that the, the way the Lord made you in your cellular makeup cannot be changed. Other interesting facts and differences, average man is taller than a woman, have larger lungs, hearts, and have testosterone. Women are more sensitive to sound. That's why they hear the baby boom while the guy just uh, sleeps away, right? Don't use that as an excuse, guys. You're going to get in trouble. All right, so anyway, more than, uh, men are 30% on average stronger than women, and men's bone structure is different than women. The list goes on. Here's the deal. There's no hint anywhere in Scripture for someone to identify differently than their biological sex. Nowhere. In fact, we see the opposite. Many scriptures state that uh, in normal circumstances, uh, you should be able to tell uh, if someone's a woman and someone's a man. All right? God has made male and female distinct and yet equal, as all human beings are made in the image of God. And He didn't make a mistake when He made you and fearfully made you in your mother's womb. He did not make a mistake. He is the Creator of God. We are not. It's not about finding yourself by looking within, but find yourself by looking to Him. Now what if you feel different? Like man, I feel different than when I know I'm supposed to do. Look, we all we are living in fallen, a fallen world, we have fallen bodies, we're gonna have urges that are not of the Lord. But here's something that what the culture tells you, and even sometimes feel-good Christianity will tell you, is you need to make yourself happy, you need to make yourself prosperous, you need to do what you feel, don't deny yourself. Listen, that is the opposite of, of scripture. It's not about de- it is about denying yourself, it's not about finding yourself, it's denying yourself and taking up your cross. So we don't live by feelings. We live by the word of God and we pray that our feelings come in concert with that. And it may be a struggle. Just because you have a feeling or an urge, that does not mean you're in sin. It means you have a feeling or an urge. The question is, whatever that is, whatever that temptation is in your life, whatever urge that is, part of being a follower of Christ is dying to ourselves daily and giving it over to the Lord God Almighty who loves you immensely. Men and women are equally made in the image of God, but they are also not uniform. And they may not, therefore, have the same role. So this leads us to our next point. Men and women are created to complement each other. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For on that day you eat from it, you will certainly die. And the Lord God said, "'It is not good for man to be alone. "'I'll make a helper corresponding to him.' "'The Lord God formed out of the ground "'every wild animal and every bird of the sky "'and brought each one to the man "'to see what he would call it. "'And whatever the man called a living creature, "'that's what its name was. "'The man gave names to all kind of livestock, "'to so the birds of the sky, to every wild animal.' But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man and he slept. And God took one of the ribs and closed the flesh at that place. And the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, I love this, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman for she was taken from Man, he was rejoicing. He wasn't like, ha ha, finally, a servant. I'm king of the castle, I'm Adam. I was created first, ha ha ha, right? No, he's like, whoa! Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. At last. Greg Morris says this, as a culture we're often taught to be suspicious of differences. Today, distinction is interpreted as hierarchy. Fairness comes to mean sameness, and any deviation from that is an, is an ideal necessitates inequality. But G.K. Chesterton gives a needed word for us today, in short, poem to- entitled Comparisons. Listen to this poem. If I set the sun beside the moon, if I set the land beside the sea, and if I set the flower beside the fruit, and if I set the town beside the country, and if I set the man beside the woman... I suppose some fool would talk about one being better. There has been two errors in talking about the differences of men and women. Men dominating women, and then men sidestepping their God-given role of being a spiritual leader. I would say that the attempt, this is, another, this is John Piper, he said, I would say that the attempt by feminism to ready the male uh, abuse of women by nullifying gender differences backfires and produces millions of men that women cannot enjoy because of their unmanliness or cannot endure because of their distorted, brutal manliness. In other words, if you don't teach boys and girls about the truth and beauty and value of their differences and how to live them out, those differences do not mature in healthy ways but dysfunctional ways. And a generation of young young adults comes into being uh, who simply do not know what it means to be a mature man or woman. And the cultural price we pay for that is enormous. We see in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 in the expression of marriage what our differences are supposed to look like. Submit to one another out of reference, Ephesians five twenty-one: Wives, submit to your husbands as your own husbands. Uh, Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle, without blemish, holy and blameless." says, women, submit to your husbands. And, you know, husbands, you might be high-fiving right now, but I want you to see what Scripture says here. It says, and husbands, you're going to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And you know how Christ loved the church? He died on a cross, and he sacrificed it all. Marriage. We notice in the Genesis text. The sexes are meant to complement each other in society and explicitly what we see in marriage and reproduction. God created male and female. They are made in his image. They, by the way, if you're not married, I want you to know you are not lacking in anything as a human being uh, before our almighty God. Uh, if you know uh, your creator God, if you know Jesus Christ personally, uh, you have we have everything we need, right, to be whole. But God created male and female so that we can reproduce in committed marriage relationships. I remember I worked at Applebee's um, as a waiter. And uh, I remember at one point at Applebee's, uh, when you would get cut, that means when you're done for the night waiting tables, you had to do a bunch of different tasks. And one of them uh, was called marrying the salt. And marrying the salt was this uh, you literally had to take two um, smaller, or you had to take two half empty salt shakers from tables, and you literally had, to, I'm gonna make a mess, uh, but literally you had to fill. One into the other. And the idea was one table has a full salt shaker. And then you take this to the back and get this filled. But the whole idea was Mary... Marry the salts. It was part of our closing procedures. Marry the salts. And I couldn't help but think of Genesis chapter two, that when the men and women were together, the first marriage, Adam and Eve, and they said the two became one flesh. Literally, the two became one. Uh, and that is the idea, the, the complement of male and female in marriage, specifically when they come together in sexual union, in a one-man, one-woman union, and ultimately children. And he says, fulfill and repopulate the earth. Marriage two, become one. Creation is God's idea. Male and females are God's idea. Uh, Your your seasons, that's God's idea. Your family, that is God's idea. God made male and female to reflect his image to complement one another. Your true self is not found in yourself, but in Christ. So with that said, let's get practical, all right? I'm gonna, it is Mother's Day. I'm gonna invite my wife up uh, to uh, let's give it up for Allison. <laughs> let's just put some uh, questions on the screen. I just I kind of set the table difference of male and female. So let's let's just talk about some practical questions. I can't wait to hear your perspective on some of these okay. things. It's going to get fun. <laughs> so let's fire away. All right. I'll, I'll, how did how did how we, did we how, how did we both meet?
0: Well, our eyes met across a crowded dining hall. I thought about marrying him, which was a weird thought. And then forgot about him for two years.
1: (laughs) Allison and I met, uh, our eyes met in the dining hall, and I thought, wow, like you're stunning, okay? I just remember that. But of course, I'm like, I'm the seminarian, you're an undergrad. Student, you know, there's a couple years between us. The, the joke was the seminarians only come across the street, the dining hall, to find a, a single uh, woman who can play the piano and can be a pastor's wife. So I had that stigma. I was like, I don't want to be that guy. But I was like, I saw you, and I'm like, oh my goodness. And she's an L. Ed major. Oh my goodness. And so, but then I remember there was a stack of cookies, freshly baked chocolate chip cookies <laughs> in the dining hall. And I remember turning my attention to those and thinking, well, she, she looks really pretty, and then I ate a bunch of cookies.
0: Sounds about right.
1: <laughs> Told you I have a cookie problem. It's true. It's true. So, but that's not the end of the story, obviously.
0: Right. Because then, a couple years later, you poked me on Facebook.
1: We need to explain Facebook back in yes. 2005. It was a little though.
0: different back then. It was just college students. It wasn't, <laughs> please don't start dating random people who talk to you on Facebook nowadays.
1: <laughs> yeah, or give them money or whatever. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was a it was a campus uh, program at the time to where they took your uh, directory and they made it into a book of faces. We actually had a, a, a Facebook prior to that, and I think that's where Facebook probably got its name. And I remember I just, I just remember one day I was, I think I was writing a paper and I was like, I'm I'm just going to do it. How do I, how do I reach out to Allison? I'm like, I'm going to poke her. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I did not do that, right? But we ended up going back and forth in conversation and we ended up going to, I mean, this is really appropriate too. Our first date was Starbucks, right? So coffee, and yes. I did a lot of talking.
0: Yeah, Andy talked for about three hours. <laughs> That's true. I talked for a total of about 10 minutes, and it was perfect.
1: Yeah, I didn't know that at the time. When <laughs> I got back in the car, I dropped Allison off, got back in the car, I did my Chris Farley impression. I just slammed the, my hand on the steering wheel. and go, like, oh, you're stupid, right? Why did I talk so long? But I didn't know that you liked that. And that, yeah. was, that was a match made in heaven.
0: Yeah, I thought if I ended up marrying this man, I would never have to talk again. <laughs> Little did I know he'd be pulling me on stage. <laughs> yeah, she's up here. I was like, oh, come on up. Yeah.
1: I know. I, I, here, we it, it here we are. It worked. Here we are. got three kids. Happy Mother's Day, Allison. <laughs> it's been wonderful. Yes. All right, let's, let's do another one. How should a single person make the most of their season of singleness? Okay.
0: Okay. Um, Well, okay. I've got to read my notes. I'm not quite like Andy. Um, So I think there's going to be differences, but um, your habits as a single person shouldn't look that different from your habits as a married person. Um, But during your single years, you do want to make sure you're fully cementing those habits of prioritizing your time with the Lord, serving in the church, Building relationships with fellow believers and sharing your faith with unbelievers. Uh, You don't want to wait until you're married to start doing those things. And in the same vein, married people shouldn't be pawning those things off on single people because they think they have more time or margin or whatever it is.
1: Mm, That's good. Last, you, many of you know Ben. If you're this is your first week, we had, last week we had a speaker named Ben here, and Ben was awesome last week, wasn't he? And Ben and I have been uh, lifelong friends, and um, I was actually one of the one of the later ones of all my friend group to get married. And so I just reached out to them a few weeks ago and said, hey, what was it like for me to hang out with you when I was single and you guys were married? And so his wife, Char, just listed out all these bullet points, like it was on the forefront of her mind. It's like, well, you're a third wheel, you're always there, you're on our dates, and we loved it. And I was like... Sweet. And she said she loved it. I was like, okay, that's that's great. And the thing is, like, okay, I knew Ben was my best friend, uh, but I really look at that time that like God really did pour in and built foundations, and I really got to love the sake of our family at that time. So I'm really, really gr- grateful for that. But I was just thinking of those conversations I was having with Ben and Sharp. Even though I knew and I trusted God, and I had, like, another year and a half left in seminary, and he's like, if I get out of seminary, I'm not married. Oh, my goodness. Why I want to be a priest. And so anyway, uh, um, but uh, I, I, just, I look back at that and it's like, yeah, there's a lot of angst and there's a lot of like what ifs, and I, I didn't really like that season. but looking back, it's like, man, I, I see exactly what God was doing uh, in uh, that season, and I'm, I am very, very thankful for that. I just want to say this to to anybody here that is not married, whether you're you're single, never married, you're divorced, you are not a second rate citizen. All right? I, I don't think the church does a good enough job talking uh, to singles. And I want you to know that God sees you. He values you. Um, you know, the New Testament, it values singleness. You want to know why? Who's the most famous person that, in Scripture that was single? Jesus. Jesus, right? <laughs> yes, Jesus. And you're like, okay, but he was the God man. I'm like, all right, but what about Paul? I mean, Paul wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament books. And when you read Paul's writings, you almost think like, I, you're like, man, he really doesn't want you to get married. It's because he really realized the blessing that and God called him to a life of singleness, but he really saw the blessing of that. I'll just read it to you. 1 Corinthians seven thirty two. he said, "'I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs.'" Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit, but the married woman's concerned about the affairs of the world and how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your good, not to restrict you, that you may live in a right way, in undivided devotion to the Lord. So Paul values singleness so much. It is not a curse. It is a blessing. Um, It can feel that way, and it can be a struggle. Um, And there's so many things that you can do, whatever season you find yourself in. Uh, right now in fact 1 Corinthians 7:17 7, Paul says nevertheless each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them just as God has called them so singleness or whatever you're in, it, it could be a uh, a season for some it's a calling i remember people like you think it was a calling and i'm like no it's not a calling right but i realized okay if i don't feel called i still wanted to be married in that time and I want you to know that one of the most demeaning things that people can say is, oh, it's no big deal, God will take care of it because that's not really lifting up the feelings that you may be feeling. And so whatever, whenever we have a disconnect of what we desire and what is reality, that can actually be a trial, Right? And so for me, it's like, okay, I'm going I'm to give this to the Lord daily. It doesn't mean necessarily that feeling is going to be gone. It's not wrong to have a feeling if you're single and you want to be married. Um, but know that God is in control whatever situation that you're finding us through. And you know what? God places us in seasons for him to do things that he couldn't do exactly the same way in a different season. And so it is not wrong to want a different season. But I'll say this, this goes for anybody in any situation, whether you want kids, you want more kids, you want to be retired, whatever that is, is sometimes we look at that next at the expense of the now, all right? God wants us to look at the next. It's okay to have desires the next, but don't do it at the expense of the now because God wants to use you and unleash you in the church, in his ministry, in his mission right now. Now, for the single person out there that wants to get married, what would be some of your just input on... uh, how to define that person, you know, or, or when it comes to, when it, let me, let me put it this way. Uh, what are some do's and don'ts in the sense of like, what should we be, what should a single Christian person be looking for?
0: Um, well, I think if, especially if you are wanting that marriage, you need to be praying for your future spouse every day. Um, cause think of all the struggles and thoughts and feelings you have, they're probably going through very similar things. Um, And also make sure, like I said, like you're building those strong habits because you're not going to magically become a better Christian once you get married. Like it's the habits you're forming now, so make sure those are strong. Um, And then just in dating, don't even go on a first date with someone you know you're not going to marry. That's just a waste of time.
1: Yeah, so set your standards on the Lord and wait on him. Um, Men, you need to do the same thing. I just want to talk to men here for a second. Uh, but there's something that I'm noticing is that men, men by and large are becoming complacent and they're like, well, you know, God will just open the door and it'll happen. Yeah, that's true, but in anything else in life, you have to take personal responsibility and act on something, but don't act on something that's going to be compromising. Let God lead the way. Make sure that uh, it's of the Lord. uh, Date and marry only Christians. That might be a controversial statement to some people like, well, I married somebody that's not a Christian. Look, scripture's like, hey, you are, that's a blessing to that person in that marriage that's not saved, okay? But if you're dating somebody right now, don't get yourself in that predicament, all right? Um, sometimes you're in a marriage and one person gets saved and another person's not. And that doesn't mean, oh, I can do whatever I want. No, uh, you are to show them Christ in that committed uh, uh, marriage. Um, and, you know, when it came to, with us, when, I, when, I, when uh, I saw you finally started uh, asking you on, on dates, I, I really did have that spot where God built that foundation. Me, it's like, you know what? If this is of God, it's gonna work uh, when we're dating. And if it's not of God when we're dating, it won't. And it took that pressure off of trying to make something and just watching God lead it. And it was that's that was pretty awesome in that sense. So uh, let's go to our next question. How do you have a good marriage?
0: That is quite the question. <laughs> it is quite a question. <laughs> Um, I have a lot I can say about this. I'm going to try and keep it brief. Um, But I just, the answer, I mean, Andy already kind of touched on this. In Ephesians 5, 22 and 25, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Um, So if you can do that, you're good. Um, But how do we actually put that into practice uh, for wives Culture is screaming at us um, to be dominant in every aspect of our life, but God wants us to be submissive. Um, it doesn't mean we're doormats. It doesn't mean we're silent. It doesn't mean we're at any way inferior to our husbands. Um, we should go to our husbands with our wants and our needs and our opinions in the same way we go to the Lord with those things. Um, but we should be communicating respectfully. And when our husband doesn't agree with us, we need to be okay with that not only allowing him to take the lead in that, but expecting him to take the lead in that. Um, Because even though he's the leader, we still have a ton of influence over our husband. Um, And because of that, we need to make sure we're staying grounded in the word so that we can use that influence for good. And then for husbands, um, the sacrificial love you should have for your wife Sometimes it means you're sacrificing sleep when the toddler has a bad dream. Sometimes it means you're sacrificing some financial security when your wife wants to stay at home and no longer work. Um, Sometimes it means sacrificing um, peace at home with your wife when you have to make a decision you know she's not going to agree with. Um, Unhealthy marriages tend to have weak men who refuse to lead or overbearing women who won't always allow their husbands to lead. Um, but your role um, in your marriage doesn't change if your spouse isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing because we don't deserve any favor from God, yet he shows that to us anyway.
1: How do you have a good marriage? Um, A phrase that I've said to Allison and and to you a lot is, we need to love God more so we can love, in, in your case, so I can love you best. Um, you know, when we love God more, we're able to love people the way we ought to love them. And so another another thing about just a good marriage is always having the mindset, I'm still dating you um, and honoring you in each way. I think of Philippians chapter 2 of of placing others more important than yourself. Philippians chapter four, dwelling on what's excellent and not looking at what's wrong. That's really difficult. When you come in, you're drained from the day and there's toys everywhere. You step on one. Uh, (laughs) We're getting real zone here. So, but, uh, and, and you're like, why is this room a pit? And then I, that, those words that came out of my mouth completely negated all the work that maybe you've done and that you have done all across the house. And then, you know, you know, uh, Husbands in the room trying just say, when you, uh, when you dig yourself deep, right, it, like sometimes we think we can dig a little deeper. Somehow that gets us out quicker. It doesn't, all right? <laughs> Don't play the comparison game in your relationship. I think that's the way to have a good marriage as well. The compare, you, there's no win in comparison. When you compare yourself to other people, oh, look at them. Look, when, when we are trying to compare ourselves to other people, you're only seeing their projection, what they're allowing you to see, Right? And so uh, there's just no win in comparison. And Alice and I, we are, we say this to ourselves often. We don't live out our marriage for anybody else's approval, all right, but the Lord's. When you live out your marriage for the approval of the Lord, then your marriage is biblically influential to others. When you begin to try to be a marriage guru just by like, hey, look how awesome we are, it just seems so, I don't know, target book of the month cheesy. Right, We don't need that. We don't need a hip marriage to where it's like, okay, we're going to dress better, put up better wallpaper, and buy better cooking utensils, all right? What we want is we want to be pleasing to the Lord so that we can be biblically influential to each other, that we can encourage one another. Um, uh, If we had, if Alice and I had a dollar for people that told us unsolicited marriage advice from people that were projecting their own problems on us, uh, we'd be a rich prosperity pastor right now, all right? So... Um, we, we, we seek out the things of the Lord, uh, and that's, uh, and I, I think that's really important for you to have a, a healthy marriage is seeking out to be pleasing the Lord. Let's do another one. <laughs> <laughs> you did, you put it up there. All
0: right. How many times a day do I get annoyed with Andy? Uh, constantly, always, <laughs> frequently and often, um, you're going to get annoyed with anyone in close proximity to you, but you are my favorite person to get annoyed by.
1: How many times a day do you get annoyed with Andy? Well, never. Anyway, so, uh,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I, I'll, I'll reciprocate. I actually, I never get annoyed with you, honey.
0: I know, it's great. <laughs> Andy has, he's like the chillest person ever. It takes a lot to get him annoyed, so it's great.
1: All right, let's go to another one. <laughs> How do you incorporate Jesus into raising your kids?
0: Okay, well, we do this by just modeling that Christian standard of living in front of them and expecting them to do it as well. Kids, kids do what they see you do. They are great copiers. We want to make sure they're copying good behaviors, um, so we, they see us reading our Bible, and we read the Bible with them. Um, they see us pray, and we teach them to pray and expect them to do that on their own. They see us have disagreements that are kind and loving, and we teach them how to deal with their sibling conflict in kind and loving ways. Um, we're just making sure that we include biblical principles um, in our everyday speech, in our everyday life, so they know that... Um, Sunday morning isn't any different than how we should be living the rest of our time. Um, And also, we do try and safeguard them from some of the worldly perspective and influences we know they're not quite ready to process. But when we do feel like they're ready, we have those discussions, we incorporate the Bible, so that way they are equipped to stand against them when they see them on their own.
1: You know, one thing I really appreciate about you, Allison, is that growing up when my parents fought... It was like the old uh, the, the boxing referee. Let's get it on! And like my parents were just, we would just watch. Like, all right, who's gonna win this one, right? And so I, there's times where I'm like, all right, let's 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 talk this through. And you're like, you gave me that look. Like, no, we. So we go to you know we go to another room and we just kind of talk it through. Just because there's times too where we have to like process things in life or whatever. I mean, even like when it comes to even my my mom. Um, just, okay, what do we want our kids to overhear? Because they'll come up with us and they'll talk it through. The three of them will overhear things and they'll, they'll come up with something just completely crazy. Uh, but, but just really, I really appreciate that. And that's something even in, in relationships where we, we bring our methods to the table. And I think it's really important uh, just as we can having kids that you discuss how we're going to do this. Um, we do life with our kids. Uh, we we take big trips. We want to when we were like we were campers before. We had kids like guess what? We're just gonna bring them on. We're gonna bring them with. I can't wait for my kids to go on our first missions trip together. Um, that's gonna be a really special day when that happens. I think it's gonna be soon, with Elias, uh, no, don't, don't tell them. Uh, so but, uh, uh, we pray every day together with our kids. Uh, we read the Bible. The kids Bible app is wonderful. Uh, It's a a pictorial way of of just understanding the Bible. We talk through life issues, as Allison said, through biblical perspective. We watch what media they consume. Uh, Do not assume the media your kids consume is safe even because it's a G-rated cartoon. They are putting all sorts of world view in, I mean, the latest one was Transformers, I think it was, all right? And that's like my kid's favorite. I'm like, come on. Of course they're not a he, him, or whatever. It's a machine. Anyway, so, but anyway. Um, we
0: have a large collection of DVDs of cartoons from the 80s. Yeah, you're right.
1: Yeah, we do. And so I, I'm like, we're bringing back the DVD player, all right? So anyway. Um, we're pretty black and white on things. I, people are like, we don't really want to be black and white because, you know, it's just they, they go into question that later on in life. Here's the deal. The reason why I think people are questioning things later in life is because we weren't black and white with them earlier in life. Uh, we want to treat sometimes our five-year-olds like they're 25-year-olds. And the thing is, their brain hasn't fully developed. And so it's really important in a world that doesn't want to give definition to things or they're redefining things. We need to be very black and white. This is what the Bible says about things. Um, and then Allison talked about uh, uh, just, you know, with school, uh, we, we homeschool and so, and, and uh, incorporating uh, Jesus into the homeschool curriculum. I have to teach the birds and the bees, apparently. So anyway, but, uh, um, but also, but if your kids are in public school, it's really important for you to kind of understand, okay, or even Christian school, what are they learning so we can have a conversation about what they're learning so they understand from God's perspective what's being said. All right, let's do, let's do one more. We're okay. at 54, so let's do one more.
0: How do you view your role as a pastor's wife? Well, I think it's an honor. It's a privilege. It's um, a really special role, but I'm not special because I'm in this role. Um, I'm just doing what every Christian wife is called to. Um, So just like every wife here, I'm called to support my husband. Um, I know it's I have huge influence over him, and I can either help his ministry or I can hinder his ministry, um, and I don't take that lightly. Um, And then just like every other person here who calls this their church, um, I'm called to serve the church, um, to support it in every way I can. The church doesn't function to its fullest potential without everyone pitching in. Um, So I'm more aware of some of the needs we have in the church, so I serve probably more than most people. Um, but I'm just doing what all believers are expected to do.
1: Yeah, Allison's not a pastor at Kenosha City Church. He is a wife of a pastor. It's not a twofer. Maybe you've been to the, maybe you've been to churches where it's like, okay, you're you're married in now. You're a pastor now. That's not the way we do it here. Um, it's it's by uh, that. It's that's not Allison's calling, obviously. And uh, when it comes to you know particulars of ministry. Uh, her calling is kids. Her calling is uh, different things, and so, um, but there is one thing: you are sold out uh, for Jesus and His church. And uh, and you know what? I'll just do a shameless pitch here. You do such an awesome job with your team, uh, at, with City Kids. I know with Ashley and um, uh, and and uh, and Will, and I just I and it is growing. And I would love for some of you to join forces with them, because when you do, I actually get to sit next to my wife in one of the services, because she's double serving right now, all right, because, and that's a, it's a good problem to have, because we have, or we're growing, but if you're not serving somewhere, you don't have to love kids, you just gotta like them and love Jesus, all right, so, (laughs) um, I just want to say, I would not be here today if it wasn't for the support and love of my wife, Allison, and, uh, I, it, it's you say you're not ordinary. You're a superhero to me, and I'm so thankful that I poked you on Facebook. We went out for coffee, <laughs> and we've been on this wild ride. And uh, we want to see hell robbed and heaven populated. And she is my, my my partner in ministry, and I'm so very very thankful and indebted to you, Allison. I love you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Let's give it up for Allison. All right, as we close the day, I have one more thing. You know, just, if you remember, uh, I, think, uh, I think Doug mentioned it a few, and it kind of aged me a little bit because I, I knew what he's talking about. But uh, uh, Colombo would say, just one more thing. All right, so, and uh, I'm like, I know that one. Uh-oh. So anyway, you were made not only to influence in your season, but generations. You're made to influence generations. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk around the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorsteps of your house and on your city gates. People often say, you're not the boss of me. People often say, I'm gonna do whatever I want in the privacy and confines of my home. But I want you to know that whatever that you're about, whatever addiction that you may have or whatever you say, I'm gonna do it my way, the people that are in your life, they will be affected for the positive or the negative. But what I want you to know is what is often not thought about is the decisions you make today are gonna to be reflected in generations tomorrow. Your children, your children's children, even your great-grandchildren. That's what this passage is all about. The decisions you are making today, we have no clue often what God can do through them or a damaged trail we can introduce next generations with. Soviet communist leader Lenin, he says this, give me just one generation of youth and I'll transform the whole world. The world wants the minds of our children, but we must, whether we're in kids' ministry or not, and I encourage you to be there. We need four more of you, all right? So, uh, But no matter what, the decisions you make today, make it for the Lord. You were created for him, by him. Your sexuality is not your own. Your whole life and physicality is not your own. Your money is not your own. The span of your days are not your own. It's all on loan to make much of Jesus. Here's the take home. Number one, thank God for the season you are in. Thank God for the season you're in. It may be a painful season. There are a lot of things, again, just even personally in my life that I've shared with you, you've prayed with my mom. I don't like that. But yet when my mom can only say a couple words, but yet she is able to say whole paragraphs of scripture, I'm like, there's the gospel blaring loud and clear. Thank you, Jesus. Thank God for the season you are in. Number two, pray for your spouse or your future spouse, if you're to be married, daily. The reason is this. Divorce rates are one in two, but if you pray with your spouse, it goes up to one in 1,000. Those who pray together, stay together. Pray for your spouse or your future spouse daily. Number three, live for tomorrow, 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 and eternity. Don't think of just the now. Yes, you are good stewards of the now, but know that as you live now, you are preparing for tomorrow, 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 and oh yeah, forever. Think eternally minded. We're gonna announce next week ways that you could be trained in this church to make disciples for generations to come in the totality of your life. We're excited to announce that next week, but I want you this week to take home and work this out with the Lord. One more thing, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're to die tonight, and we're all gonna die, we're all gonna face God, if you're to die tonight, or Jesus Christ, we're to come back right now and say, why should I let you in my kingdom? Would you know what to say? If you're uncertain that you would go to heaven today, you can know without a shadow of a doubt that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Just tell Jesus right now, Jesus, I, I've done wrong in my life. I need you to forgive me. Thank you for making me. I realize I've done wrong, but I need you to save me. Jesus Christ came to save you. He died on the cross 2,000 years ago to stand in your place to take on the pain and wrath of your sin, past, present, and future. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray if there's anybody in this room right now that doesn't know you as Savior, that right now they would say, Jesus, I'm placing my faith and trust in you. In fact, if that's anybody, any of you in this room right now, if you're placing your faith and trust in Jesus, you're making it real, you're getting right with him right now, will you just do something for me? Will you just slip up your hand? No one looking around. Will you just slip up your hand so I can see you? I wanna pray for you this week. Just slip up your hand thank you I see you. Anybody else? Just slip up your hand and say, Yeah, that's me. I'm making my life right with with Jesus right now. I'm placing my faith and trust in Him. Anybody else? Anybody else? Lord Jesus, I thank you for those that are saying yes to you right now. They're placing their faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray for any person in this room that's in a season of difficulty, a season of trial. Lord God, I pray they would trust you and that you would use them in ways and grow them in ways they wouldn't in the next season. But Lord, I pray with them. As they long for this next season, maybe it's uh, maybe it's someone who's in divorce and they just want out of that season where they've been divorced, or maybe it's a ma- marriage that's on the brink, or maybe it's someone who's single who longs to be married, or maybe it's a, a maybe it's somebody a couple that's longing to have children and they can't. Lord, I pray along with them in their prayers. We love you, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name.
0: Thanks again for listening to this week's episode.